just kind of an introductory thing. And I had an opportunity to coach here at the academy for a year, and it runs true with boys and basketball and that age. They always loved to play the game. They didn't always love to practice. And so we would play a game, and whether we would win or lose, immediately as a coach I'd start thinking about the next game. So I'd bring them together Monday for practice, and practice would start, and we'd let them, they'd goof around and shoot jump shots and one-on-one and two-on-two, and we'd blow the whistle, and finally we would start talking about plays, and we'd start talking about certain types of drills that we were going to have to do to get ready for this coming game. And what I always tried to instill in the team was, this week matters. What you do this week is going to determine how you perform when the game comes. And some of the drills they didn't mind, but I remember Kirby one of the times, and, and my boys were great. They, I never put pressure on them simply because they were my boys. Uh, they never asked me for any special favors, but I remember so much. One time it was a drill, and I didn't bring the second basketball because I was afraid I'd mess it up. But it's a drill where you dribble two basketballs at once up and down the court. It helps the dexterity, and it also helps them learning how to switch hands and learning how to protect the ball. Now, Kirby didn't come out and say, this is stupid. But he said, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? And I tried to explain to him. And lo and behold, the next game, we got into a game, and he was dribbling, and a kid came around and stole the ball from him. And he was dribbling left-handed. Now, he won't remember that. He only remembers (laughs) scoring points, rebounding, and winning. But I remember that as a, as a dad and as a coach. And I remember saying to him, son, this is why we do the drill. This is why we have the discipline, because what we do in practice matters this week. And what we do in practice determines how we're going to perform in the game that's coming up. And so we would run through the disciplines and the drills. And I'd, I would always give them affirmation. I would say to them as we gathered around, hey, last game you did great. Uh, you, you boxed out, you rebounded, we had a high percentage of free throws, uh, we had uh, minimal turnovers, and, and it all sounded good to the team. And then I would say, but there's some things that we need to concentrate on. There's some things that we need to fine-tune. There's some things that we really need to focus on if we plan on winning the game this coming Friday night. And so even though they didn't enjoy the practice time, They would put themselves into it. They worked hard at it. And lo and behold, we had a great season. uh, Kirby's senior year, both my boys on the varsity team. We beat a team we had never beaten in the history of the school. We won the tournament. And what a great way to go out in, in a high school season. But the thing was that they just did not enjoy the discipline of practice. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back a few years, how about let's go back to A.D. 50. None of us were around at that time, but there's a man by the name of Paul. Paul, in his ministry in Troas, had received a Macedonian call. And Paul and Silas and Timothy had went to Thessalonica. There they were evangelizing. They were in the midst of the evangelizing, and yet it was a short period of time they were there And while they were there, there were some Gentile converts. They established a church. Their travels and the Holy Spirit had taken them on out of Thessalonica. 
And they begin to receive questions from these new converts about Christian faith and Christian walk. Because it was different than what they were used to. So Paul, being in Corinth at the time, sat down and wrote this letter to the new converts in Thessalonica. They were concerned about the conduct. They were concerned about how they were to be acting. And so Paul begins this letter with much love. He says, I beseech you. He even calls them brethren. There's a connection there. And he says, I beseech you that even though with much love and thankfulness and affirmation, there are still some things that I need you to work on. As you know, we have been going through a series entitled Looking for Jesus. Pastor is taking us through this. Pastor Jason has shared in a message, and I'm sharing with you today that next Sunday, Pastor Jack is going to be talking about the greatest event this earth has ever known. And because, why it's because the greatest event is because it's the one event that has never happened. We've had a World Series. We've had Super Bowls. We've had all of these things in our life and in the context of this earth. But what Pastor is sharing with us next Sunday is an event that has never happened. And they had some questions in Thessalonica because they were missing some of their family, missing some of their friends who had went on. They had passed on, and they were saying, but where are they going? What's going to happen? Are we ever going to see them again? So next Sunday, Pastor's going to share that message with you. But before we get to that event, there's some things that we have to work on. And Paul's saying to those in Thessalonica, you've been doing great. You've been loving the brethren. You've been doing great. But, but I want you to step it up a notch. I want you to take it to another level. And the way you can do that is, first of all, be holy by living in purity. Be holy by living in purity. And follow along with me, if you will. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He begins by saying, it's the will of God to be sanctified. Now, if you're not familiar with that word, it's a very simple definition. Sanctified simply means to be separated or set apart. If you are a new believer who have come to Jesus in the last six months, a year, maybe two years, let me just remind you what happened when you came to Jesus and said, I am a sinner. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I repent And I'm asking to come into my heart and life, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. When Jesus did that in your life, you experienced sanctification. Because he took that old life 
all of those old sins, that old nature, and he separated those. He set those apart, and he filled your heart with his love, with his compassion, with his spirit. And now, as the Bible calls it, we became a new creation. That was the sanctification that took place when we accepted Jesus. Unfortunately, for many people in churches today around this world, it stops there for them. They think, well, I've, I've confessed my sin and I've repented of my sin and that's all I need to do. Jesus has forgiven me and so life is happily ever after and I don't have to do anything else. But not only is there the sanctification that takes place at salvation, but sanctification continues through our journey. And it will not be completed until the day that Jesus returns. So, well, Pastor Don, what does that look like? Well, let me just explain it this way. There was a time in the 70s that we were not in full-time ministry yet. I was working in the local church. Barbara was working in the local church. And I was, I was doing umpteen million things just on a volunteer basis. And I felt there was a sense of feeling that I had arrived. I, I just, I wasn't close to perfection, but I'm getting pretty close because I was singing in the men's quartet and I was the head usher and we were working with the youth advisory board and we were helping out in the nursery and Barb was playing the organ and we were just doing all this kind of stuff and I felt, oh, I finally arrived. And it only took a short time for God just to speak into my life and say, you really haven't scratched the surface. Let me show you some things I want to deal with. And when he got through with me, <laughs> I felt like I was just starting over. Because what he was saying to me is, Don, there are some things that still need to be sanctified. There are some things that I, I want you to let me set apart in your life. And you say, well, why doesn't God just do the whole thing at once? Because I think probably if God set apart everything in our life at one time, we would probably fall apart. So he does it in the process of walking with him, in the process of staying in his word, in the process of prayer. And you can probably relate to this, that just about the time you think that you've got it all together, God says, okay, now, here's something else that I would like to set apart. Here's something else that needs to be separated. It may be a behavior. It may be an attitude. It may be words or deeds or actions. But, but something God is working in our lives, He said, now this is what I need to set apart now. So we go through that process. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be six months, a year. And we get through that and then we take a deep breath and say, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm on top of the world. And in our prayer time and devotion with God, he speaks very gently into our hearts and says, now here's something else that I want you to separate. Here's something else that I want to set apart. And we're thinking, God, when is this ever going to end? You see, it won't end until Jesus comes back. Because we think we know ourselves, but only God knows the deep recesses of our heart. And only God knows all of those little things that he is wanting to separate in our lives 
to make room for more of him. And this is what Paul was getting across to the Gentile converts in Thessalonica. You're doing great, but I've got some things. In fact, I'm going to share three of them with you this morning. Not necessarily the three top, not necessarily the three major, not necessarily the three that, that would be on the top ten list. But this was what happening to this group of converts. And what he's saying to them is when you get down, and we get down to verse 13, and start talking about this great event, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready, and I want you to be so ready that here's some things I need to talk to you about. And this morning, God is talking to us about these things. So please listen with an open heart and an open mind. Because the first thing that he discusses, he says, avoid sexual immorality. Is it all right if we talk about sexual immorality this morning? Amen? After all, the world is talking about it. Television and theaters promote it. Your children are talking about it. Your neighbors are probably somewhere in that category involved in it. Maybe you or I have experienced that in our lives. It's rampant in the world. And so now we want to find out what God has to say. So God, speaking through Paul, says to the Thessalonican believers, avoid sexual immorality. Now, why would he say that to them specifically? Because, you see, Thessalonica was a seaport, which meant that visiting sailors and merchants would bring to port all of the product and produce that they were selling, that they were, they were transporting. But also, when they came into port, they would bring with them all of their desires for sexual gratification. It was a lifestyle. It was probably a way of business for the city. And in Thessalonica, the Greek religion practiced sacred prostitution, which involved hiring a prostitute at the pagan temple for worship. And so enormous pressure was being put on these new converts. They had come to Jesus. They had had asked Jesus into their heart. Paul and Silas and Timothy had left. And now they were being inundated from this pagan culture to say, Ah, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Go ahead and have your sexual fun. Go ahead and be involved with the prostitutes. Go ahead and do whatever you're doing that brought you great physical pleasure. It's not a big deal. And they were sensing this weight and this pressure on them. And so they they write to Paul and say, Paul, what should we do? Because we are being persuaded to lower our standards and conform to the world around us. That was avoiding sexual immorality then. But what does it look like today? The Gallup poll says this. There is very little difference in the ethical behavior between those who attend church and those who don't. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is not intended to steal your joy. See, God's commandments that he gave to us was never intended to steal our joy. The commandments were created and given to us to protect us so that we don't lose our joy. 
You say, well, that kind of sounds contradictory. It doesn't if you sit with couples like I do. It doesn't if you listen on phone conversations like I have. Or people around you that you know, it, it, it makes total sense because the things that they have experienced, now there is no joy. For that marriage that has been broken up because of sexual immorality, there's no joy in that marriage. For that person who has been promiscuous and gotten pregnant out of wedlock and, and really is having difficulties dealing with life, there's no joy. So God's saying, listen, I'm going to put this discipline in place because this week matters. And if you'll follow this discipline, I guarantee you, your life will be full of joy. Let's bring it a little closer to home. I'm going to share some facts with you. Kind of eye-opening for me. According to the Center for Disease Control, there are 15 million new cases of sexually transmitted diseases each year in America alone. There are at least 25 diseases that are transmitted by sexual activity. This year, one-third of teenage girls in the United States will get pregnant. You see, these kind of things are saying to us as parents and saying to us as individuals and as a church, we've got a problem on our hands. And the enemy has blinded the eyes of those around us and has tried to sell us this lie that if it feels good, do it. Nobody's going to be hurt. But that's a lie. In fact, this is a true story. There were two teenage girls, both in the same school, one very loose living, and she had had sexual experiences with several boys in high school. And her friend that she had known in the past years had decided to remain a virgin to keep herself pure for her husband. The teenage girl who had been so loose living was always badgering her, was always saying, you're, you're just a, a wuss, you're a chicken, uh, you don't know what fun you're missing out on, and just really putting the pressure on her. And I don't know where this young lady came up with it, but the girl that had been saving herself for marriage said this to her friend. I can always become like you. You can never be me. Sobering, isn't it? I can always do what you're doing, but you can never be who I am because I've decided to save myself for marriage. When we look at these numbers and statistics, we say, well, where's this coming from? Is this just isolated? No, it's across the board. We are living in a world that is so inundated with sexual immorality that it's almost, as, it's almost taken as just an everyday thing. In fact, it's really no big deal. We just kind of wink and look the other way because it's all around us. Do you know that Hollywood produces 11,000 adult movies each year? More than 20 times the mainstream movie production. This one will blow you out of the water. Pornography industry, the pornographic industry, has larger revenues than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, <coughs> eBay, 
Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. Combined. And as we see this rampantly approaching, we see how that it evolves from the children to the teenagers to the adults, that it tears the marriages apart, that it breaks families apart, that it ruins young lives. Can we understand, even in Paul's day, when he's saying to the new converts, don't do it. Don't do it. There's a big event coming. This week matters. Abstain and live a holy life through purity. Now, how do we apply that? First of all, Paul says, learn how to control your own body. The scripture says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So if you hear somebody say, well, you know, this is my body. I'll do with it as I want. It's not your body. Jesus Christ came to this earth, hung upon Calvary's cross, gave his life for your life. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have to learn, we must learn, it's imperative that we learn how to control our own bodies. Because we've got to be ready. Second application is act like who you are. See, I've often said to many people, what you're doing is not who you are. When we come to Jesus, whether it's at the front of the sanctuary or in our homes or in our car... When we come to Jesus, the scripture says old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you are here today as a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. God loves you. He cares about you. He has a plan for your life. He has the destiny that he wants to fulfill in your life. But he can't do that when we're involved in some of these things. And it's the children. And that's why when we dedicated my grandson this morning, and when we think about our grandchildren growing up and we got all the confidence in the world with our children that they'll raise them and love them and teach them the ways of God. But as grandparents, our hearts are heavy because these four beautiful boys are growing up in a world that is saturated with sexual immorality. When do we start? We start now. We start now because as teenagers, it's already halfway gone. In fact, I just read in the paper, Dear Abby, this lady had written, she said, I've just learned that a friend's 16-year-old daughter has two different Facebook profiles. Parents, listen closely to this. One is a nice profile to which she has invited me, her family, and friends from her days at a Christian academy. The other, which is pretty raw, she uses with her new wild friends from her high school. The first profile portrays her as the perfect student and daughter. The other includes explicit details about her sexual exploits and her drinking parties. Should I keep my nose out of it or let her parents know about the dual identities? And I agree with Abby when she wrote back, ask yourself whether you would want to be warned about your minor child's drinking and sexual exploits 
or be kept in the dark, and you'll have your answer. You see, we want to trust our teenagers. We want to trust our kids. But I'm sorry, and and, and young people, you know, I love you. But you don't know what you want. Your brain doesn't even stop growing until you're 18. So what you want today may not be what you want tomorrow. And yet we allow our teenagers to be in a position alone with the opposite sex. And then a few weeks later we come scratching our heads going, I don't know how that happened. Well, let me tell you how that happened. You allowed them to be alone with the opposite sex. And you expect them to be in control. You see, it's an important issue. Men, don't cheat your wife by fantasizing about other women. And I would dare say, I'm not naive, I would dare say that there are those in this church today who have either been on a pornographic website or you're currently viewing pornographic websites. But can I remind you of this? First of all, that image that you see is airbrushed. It's manufactured. And that woman that you're looking at is probably some child's mother. Some mother and father's daughter that's experiencing that sexual lust that you're entertaining. Say, well, pastor, I'm glad you finally got the men on this. Ladies, if you knew the statistic of women who are on pornographic websites, it would amaze you. But men, don't cheat your wife by fantasizing about other women. Ladies, don't defraud your husbands by flirting with other men. It just isn't worth it. You say, well, Pastor Don, what's, what's all this got to do with God? Because God is saying to us, there is a big event coming. And it's going to include this whole world. And, and the, the term, it matters this week, is not about the next five days. It, it, it is a relevant term that means from now until Jesus comes back, this is the week. And what we do this week matters. What we do this week will will determine what happens when that big event takes place. And God is saying to us this morning, we've got to wake up. We have to understand the importance of being holy by living in purity. So here's a good principle to live by. Treat God as holy and treat people as honorable. And you go a long ways with that. So Paul says, be holy by living in purity. And then he says, okay, I've got another discipline for you. Got something else you need to do to get ready for the big event. And here it is. He says, be harmonious by loving one another. Be harmonious by loving others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, he gives us these words. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. 
There's something about that word love. In fact, this week, it's just, it's an epitome and, and it's just something that, that Barb and I never get tired of. But every once in a while, our grandkids will just be around the house. Last night, just before Austin went to bed, he was hanging out kind of late with the adults and he's getting ready to go to bed and he's walking through the hallway and I'm sitting in the recliner and he says, Poppy, I love you. What do you want, son? New car, pony, airplane. What can I buy you? (laughs) But when your grandchildren say, I love you, it goes a long ways. When we tell our spouses, I love you, it goes a long ways. When we tell each other, I love you, it goes a long ways. Because you see, as the Thessalonica church grew in discipleship, their love grew for one another. And here's the thing, church. Please listen to me closely. We are family. The church is a family. Families have disagreements. Families have arguments. Families have fights. It's not wrong to fight. It's you need to learn how to do it right. That's what I tell most of the couples when they come in for counseling. They say, oh, we've been fighting. I say, good. They look at me like, what? I said, the problem is you've been fighting the wrong way. You've been picking and accusing and blaming and finger pointing. That's no way to fight. But we as a body of Christ in the Erie First Assembly of God church family, we are family and we will have our differences, we will have our opinions, we will have our interpretations, we will have all of these things that are different. But let me just say to you and exhort to you this morning that no matter what we go through as a family, love is never negotiable. And I wished it was easy as that, and I wished I could believe in my heart from that last word that you caught it, and it'll never happen again. But you see, we're human. And Paul says to the body of Christ, you've got to love one another. It's important to love one another. Disagree, argue, fuss, debate, question, ask for information. But as a family of God, love is never up for negotiation. See, it's like marriage. For better or for worse. Rich or poor. Sickness and in health. Till death do us part. It's a covenant. And I really believe in my heart of hearts and the Holy Spirit just dropping this thing into me this morning that as a body of believers, as a family, we need to covenant with one another that even though we don't understand and we don't see eye to eye and things don't always go our way, we make a covenant with each other that regardless of our imperfections and our differences, we will always love one another. Well, what does that look like? Well, the application is this. Be friendly. See, that's why a pastor will ask us to stand and find someone to greet and talk to. That's not just so you can stretch your muscles and and, and your bones don't get all tight. Because he knows the importance 
of those who come and be a part of our family. He knows the importance of greeting and meeting. That's why he asked us to go find somebody we've never seen before, introduce ourselves and talk with him because he knows the importance of loving one another. In fact, Lee Iacocca had a meeting with Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers. That particular time, Paul Horning was playing for them. And he asked Vince Lombardi, he says, what does it take to make a winning team? And Vince Lombardi thought for a while, and this is his response. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. My team has to understand that if they don't protect Paul, which is Paul Horning, the running back, if they don't protect him, if they don't care for him, if they don't look out for him, he's going to get clipped, his leg is going to get broken, and he's unable to perform the rest of the season. If you're going to win and play together as a team, you have to care for one another. And Vince Lombardi went on to say this, the difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling those guys have for each other. And I hope you hear my heart this morning. It's coming as a pastor's heart that if we're going to move forward, if we're going to see what God has for us and the destiny of this church, we have got to covenant with each other. We have got to somehow find a way to take ownership. This is not Erie First Cafeteria. See, it's not where you come and pick and choose. And the bonus is you get to get up and go home and don't have to pay. This is Erie First Assembly. The body of Christ, the family of God, brothers and sisters, those of likes and dislikes and multiple personalities. That's not schizophrenic. That's just everybody's got different personalities. And, and we're all different. And you say, well, I don't, Pastor Don, I can't, I can't like everybody. Bible never said for you to like everybody. But he did tell us to love each other. And as Paul's saying to the Gentile converts, to the church in Thessalonica, I believe he's saying to us today, here at Erie First, you've got to love one another. Harmonious by loving one another. And then pray for one another. Follow up on those who are sick or absent. It, th- this, this goes on because it's the nature of church and church family. But from time to time, we'll get a call from somebody and they say, Hey, I haven't seen John and Jane Doe for six weeks. Do you know where they're at? Now, as good pastors... We don't say this, but in our minds we think it. No, I don't know where they're at. Why don't you give them a call? You've been missing them for six weeks. Give them a call. And I don't know, maybe there's a misunderstanding to think that's our responsibility just to follow up on everybody that we don't know. But we don't have a way of tracking that. And somebody you sit next to in your section in church, I haven't seen them in three Sundays. Give them a call. Write them a card. Say, hey, by the way, it's kind of lonely here on Sunday morning. Haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Anybody sick? You're doing good. Is there anything I can help you with? See, that's family. That's love. That's care. So we love one another. We pray for one another. 
We follow up on those who are sick or those who are absent. That's what families do. I just can't picture in my mind anyone in here that has a functional family and say it's a, it's a mother, father, and three children. And you, excuse me, you get up one morning and your third child is missing. Just gone. Not in the bedroom, not downstairs, not in the play area, not in the backyard, just gone. And I cannot picture in my mind that a mother and father says, well, I don't know where the third child is, but we got two left. (laughs) And you know, really, it kind of cuts down on the food bill because that third one was a big eater. So we're not going to go look for him. We're not going to call the neighbors or the friends. We're not going to call the police if he's missing a certain amount of time. He's just gone. I can't imagine a mother or father doing that. But friends, it applies to you and I as the family of God. When we see our friends and family, church family missing, it behooves us to give them a call and find out where they're at. See, that's a discipline because here's the thing. The big event's coming. This week matters. And let's not be selfish to say, well, I'm all prepared. I'm ready to go. I don't care about anybody else. No, we do care about other people. We are interested in everybody's lives. And so that's what it means by being harmonious, by loving one another. Say, well, when does this harmonious stuff stop? The job is never done. The growing never stops. It's a continual progress, work of sanctification till Jesus comes back. Then Paul says, I've got one more thing I need you to do. Here's something that's come to my mind and being with you the short time that I have and I've been getting some letters from some people. Here's another discipline that I want you to be involved in. Be honest in your witness. Be honest in your witness. And he says these words in verse 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, what was happening here was some of the people had quit working and depending on others to support them. I've never had the nerve to try that. I guess I don't have a lot of faith in my friends. I'm afraid they wouldn't pay my bills and buy my groceries. But this was happening in Thessalonica. And Paul says here, it's important that you make it your ambition to live a quiet life, mind your business, work with your hands. So what's the application? Very obvious. Live a quiet, peaceable life. Don't get stressed out. Don't allow anxiety to overtake you. Be able to take that deep breath every once in a while. Because God only knows the world around you is so unstable and fragile that it needs somebody that's leading a quiet, peaceable life. Then he comes out in NIV, he just tells it like it is. He says, mind your own business. Wow, that's a stinger. Mind your own business. I've heard pastors say this, and I've read it, and I agree with it. If you're not a a part of the problem or a part of the solution... It's gossip. And it's so easy in churches. And, and, and i tell you the way we could do this. We won't do this, but I can tell you exactly how it would work. I would start over here with Jim and, and quote a statement to him in his ear. 
He would pass it on to Jenny right on back. We'd go all the way back. We'd take time. We'd be here till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But it goes on. And it gets over here to Bob Lamry. And I say, Bob, what did I tell Jim? Now, I might have said to Jim, Jim, the horse is black. And Bob says, well, pastor, I got to tell you the truth. The cow's back. That's not what I said. But you see what happens when I say something to Jim and it goes through so many different filters that have never heard from the originator and he gets over here, the cow's back, and really what I said, the horse is black. But you see, we never go to the origin of the question. We never go to the origin of the problem or the concern. We never go to the originator and say, you know, Pastor Jack... I, I just, I need to talk with you because I need to hear it from you. Whatever, 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 whatever. No, we'll go to Jimmy and Johnny and Billy and Mary and Susie and whoever else we can get a hold of and say, Did you hear? Did, did, is that what you heard? Yeah, I heard the cow's back. No, I heard the horse is black. Well, is it the horse back? The cow's black? What is it? And by the time it gets filtered through, it's unbelievable the information that comes out that's twisted and just not truthful at all. See, that's what Paul's saying is, is it's important for us. And I found this. Maybe I'm so different. I know I'm different. But maybe I'm even more so different. That if I spend my time minding my own business, I don't have time to mind yours. Now, don't get your feelings hurt, but I don't. I'm so busy with my business, and I don't mean that in a selfish way. It's just everyday things of life. If I focus and concentrate on what God is calling me to do and being the kind of husband to being the kind of father, being the kind of grandfather, being a servant that God wants me to be, if I am trying to do all of those things, I don't have time to be in anybody else's business. And it's amazing to me the people that I run across that are so multitasking that they can handle their business and 20 others all in the same week. Paul says, don't do it. Stop it. And then he says, work, it, work hard at whatever you do. Now, friends, this is a part of a series. As I said, Pastor Jack will be sharing with you next week about this great event. And when I speak of this week, I'm not talking about Monday through Saturday. I'm talking about today till the day of Jesus' return. That's our week. And that week matters. We have to focus. We have to live holy. We have to live harmonious. Be honest in our witness. Because I don't know about you. I don't know the time, the day, or the hour. But when Jesus comes back... I want to be ready to go. And I can't be ready if I'm not walking in the disciplines that he's called me to. He said, well, Pastor Don, you kind of left us with a downer. No, I don't do that. I remember an old preacher. I called him old. He was probably 63. Uh, <laughs> I remember an old preacher once said, you can preach hellfire and brimstone, but always end it in love. And friends, here's the love part. The hope of God's word gives to us 
the fact that we can always have a fresh start. In John chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus talking with a woman who was caught in adultery, he said this, Neither I do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And I leave you with these words. God loves you very much. He loved you enough to give his son's life for your life. He loved you enough to give you another day, another week on this earth. And he's telling you this morning, he's saying to us this morning, there's a great event coming, and I want you to be ready. In order to do that, this week matters. To live holy, live harmonious, and live honest as a witness. And we will come out victorious, more than conquerors, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We are excited. We are excited, not because it's summer and not because it's not raining, but we're excited because we're here as a family. You've called us as a family of God. And Father, we're excited that for some of us we've learned new and afresh today that even when we argue or disagree or fight or quarrel or question that love is never negotiable. That love brings that covenant bond with the family of God. And Father, we're excited today. And I, I know that perhaps the things that I have preached this morning perhaps have touched the very sensitive part of hearts of people that may have been involved in some of these areas that I've talked about. But Father, there is no condemnation. There's no guilt in this service this morning. There's only the love of the Holy Spirit that says to each of us the words that you gave to the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and leave your sin. So, Father, for sexual immorality, Father, for living harmonious, living one, with one another, loving our brothers, may we even do more, more, more. Working as an honest witness, may we do more and more and more. The Father, we look forward to the coming of that day when all will be complete and you will be with us forever and ever. But until then, this week matters. Help us with your Holy Spirit to live a life that's pleasing to you. And we thank you for this today in Jesus' name. Amen.